With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. E-S-N-Y. And we're back. What's up, folks? This is ESNY's Jets All The Way podcast. I, of course, am Jeff Magliacetti, New York Jets beat writer, as well as New York Liberty beat writer for ESNY. Joining me, of course, is another Jets beat writer, Robbie Sabo, and our fearless leader, the editor-in-chief, King of the Hill, Top of the Heap. Rob, how you doing today? Oh, I'm good. Of course I'm good, Jeff. Hard not to feel good after an eventful offseason here in Jets land. Of course, training camp just over a couple weeks away, headed into the summer, going up to Florham Park, ready for training camp 2019, what's sure to be an exciting season and even a big, an even bigger regular season just bursting with potential. Today on the podcast, we'll be talking about the offseason that was in Jets land, what they did right, what they did wrong, what's to come, what could be. Rob? So let's start off. Overall thoughts on this offseason? I think uh, it was an offseason of glitz and glamour. Yeah, interesting. Uh, star power. And it, because of the star power, I think it confuses people a little bit. How so? Well, it's the household names. Bell. Right. Um, everyone that they brought in. You think they're going to take a a logical step forward, but it's possible they stay right where they're at. You know, it's an interesting thought because I've seen so many teams in the past, you know, I think we see it most on the basketball level and the football level as well. There's so much, when you bring in name brand talent, almost always, there always seems to be a bit of an issue at the early onset. Like for example, look what happened with that, that dream team, Philadelphia Eagles team. I they brought in all those free agents that year, and they ended up going what seven and nine, eight and eight in that season. We saw it. Uh, we've seen it recently already with the Cleveland Browns. How you know there's already there might be already some issues brewing with Odell Beckham Jr. down there. So this is going to be an interesting task for the Jets. And the big question I think is going to be how can they avoid such a lull? Because we've seen at the NBA level too. I mean, people tend to forget that the big three down in Miami, the Heatles, as they were known as at the time, the LeBron James, Chris Bosh, and Dwayne Wade combination, they got off to a slow start as well, people tend to forget. Yeah, they did. And um, I think the most important thing is what are the realistic expectations for the Jets? And I, and I talked about this earlier today. It's so hard to pinpoint what the realistic expectations are because yes. of the turnover with the coaching staff, mm-hmm. the front office, Darnold's second year, mm-hmm. you got the right quarterback, you think, but you don't know what he's going to do. And we, you don't know what the line in front of them is going to do. That's a wild card. Le'Veon Bell missing an entire season. What is he going to do? There are so many factors that make it so unknown. So what are realistic expectations? Five wins? Ten wins? 
What is it? I think realistically, it, it sounds cliche. It sounds like a cop-out in a way. The realistic expectation for the Jets right now, if you're doing an over-under for the Jets right now, or an even in a way, it should be eight wins. If this team goes eight and eight this season, I think you can look at that as a metaphorical win. Now, look, I've never really been too much into the concept of moral victories. In fact, back in college when I hosted my own talk radio show, the Magged Up Radio program, hopefully coming back soon at some point in the future, um, the Magged Up Radio show, I would always conclude with the quote-unquote disclaimer that if moral victories counted, we would all be undefeated. And if moral victories counted for the Jets, then let's face it, the 2017 team might have won the Super Bowl, you know, because that was a team that some thought would go winless, and they ended up putting up some great efforts and whatnot, and that whole thing. So the December Jets last year, that team could have been a playoff team if we're going to count moral victories. But if you get 8-8 eight and eight and get a relative state of even just football mediocrity, back into this team, I definitely think that they could view that as a win. Do you agree? Yes, but the more important issue here is, did you come up with the name Magged Up? I did. I did. Magged Up. M-A-G-G-E-D spacebar U-P. I'll tell you what, Francesa, Miked Up, uh, I know he doesn't have a case, but he might file copyright. It's kind of along those same lines. That's That's kind of where I drew the inspiration from. I stopped short of... Having a uh, having a musically inclined friend of mine go magged up, he's ready to go. I didn't, you know, I I respect Mike. I didn't want it to. I I didn't want to do all that, and I, you know, I wanted to develop sh- some original shtick. Hence the moral victories comment. But uh, you know, I I I I thought there was different enough. I thought I thought maybe at some point we could have a good laugh about it. But um, I actually spoke to Francesca like almost a year ago. Interviewed him back when the app first came. I met him at a. DraftKings event interview interviewed him. The interview can be seen on ESNY.EliteSportsNY.com. By the way, it was posted back in September, week one of the football season. And I did not mention it to him. I did mention to him. You want to know the first time I met with Francesa? It's probably one of the most random sporting events in the world. Do, do you have a guess at all? The uh, Bassmasters Classic. <laughs> no, 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 not the Bassmasters Classic. Good, good one. Don't get me wrong, but. I met him back when I was nine years old in January 2002, Nets Wizards at the Continental Airlines Arena. That was when the Nets were slowly starting their rise under Jason Kidd and Byron Scott. And that was Michael Jordan's first game at the Meadowlands as a Washington Wizard. And (laughs) I met both him and the Mad Dog there. They were broadcasting live, got my picture taken with them dressed in my Jordan Wizards jersey. I had gotten the tickets for Christmas that year. It was one of the best things ever. And reality kind of struck when Jordan went three for 15 from the field and the Wizards lost by 45. (laughs) But it was overall a great night. It was a great night that I remember. Obviously, told Francis about it. He did. He did not remember. Great as Mike is, he did not remember any of that. But, you know, just just an interesting anecdote I'd like to share. Yeah, Mike in the Meadowlands, uh, what was it then? Uh, Continental. Continental, after Brendan Byrne, right? I mean, look, as, as a child of the 90s, I think it's always going to be Continental to me. I kind of, I kind of, you know, I know corporate sponsorships and whatnot. For example, I the All-Star game, the MLB All-Star game the other day, I still call it Jacobs Field from time to time. I'm even inclined to say 
new Shea instead of City Field. I mean, I don't obviously in a professional setting, but you know, just in a casual sense, I still call it Continental. I still call it Jacobs Field. I'll still, but you know, cor- corporate sponsorships, I Continental kind of stuck with me with that, so I still call it Continental. Yeah, like like the igloo in Pittsburgh too. Nailed it. Just, Nailed it. To me, it'll always be nicknamed the igloo. No yes. N- not Melon Arena. I get that. Yeah. So the, I I grew up with that. So I re- <laughs> I remember um at, at the time I, at the time my parents were broke working in the pharmaceutical industry. So they got a lot of uh, they got a lot. They took clients to a lot of events. So I remember going to a few Nets games. I, I remember going to a few New Jersey Red Dogs games as well. Remember them? I don't remember them. What were what were the Red Dogs? New Jersey Red Dogs were arena football. Arena? I do not remember. I do remember the roller hockey. Remember when roller hockey started to take off a little bit? Vaguely. Vaguely. In the late 90s, I, I went to one of those at the Continental, but I, for, I forget the team. <laughs> I wore my Leech jersey <laughs> representing, but it just, it didn't you know, well. that faded pretty quickly. Yeah, I can imagine. But uh, yeah, back when arena football was a big craze, they were start they they were slowly but sure, sl- slowly but surely starting to make a mark on it. Back when ESPN, I remember that was the height of arena football's power. The Red Dogs had moved to Las Vegas by then because the Red Dogs became the New Jersey Gladiators, who subsequently moved to Vegas, and now they're and subsequently moved to Cleveland, and subsequently folded at this point. I believe there's I believe the AFL still exists in like a four team form right now i'm not really sure how it works or anything but i believe the gladiators don't exist anymore but you had the red dogs over at the meadowlands and the new york city hawks were over at madison square Garden. i remember the city hawks yes and let's just face it they were not very good and and you tune in for a jets podcast you get a history of local local arena football we'll get back to the jets in a second but one thing i just remember the city hawks i think they won five games in their two years of existence played went over to the harford harford Hartford Civic Center and became the Hartford the Hartford or Connecticut Phantoms and I remember just the state of the two teams the City Hawks were invented solely to compete with the Red Dogs and get an AFL team in the New York City area and everything was just poorly mishandled from the start I mean what do you expect from Madison Square Garden production unfortunately we've come to realize in terms of the Knicks lesser the, the Rangers to a far 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 lesser extent but still um but what defined the two teams better than anything? The Red Dogs in one week scored 91 points, which were at the time an AFL record. It would take the City Hawks an entire month to reach 91 points. So I remember that. There's your AFL lesson for the day. <laughs> I really quickly want to point out how sick it is that you know those numbers. Oh, well, let's 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 just say, Rob, I'm in I'm in desperate need of a social life and it, I'm in desperate need of a social life slash girlfriend. And it's not going to get much better with the XFL returning this February. I've already, I've already started to uh, make myself familiar with the people in charge of the New York organization. And I'm already refreshing myself on the history of the New York, New Jersey hitmen, So I could bring it up come February. I hope Gilbride brings back the old school run and shoot. That would be something. <laughs> Oh, that's going to be in. That's going to be very entertaining. But we digress. Moving from the Arena League to the National Football League. So you look at this Jets team right now. I believe that back back to what we were talking about. Eight wins, I think, is realistic for this team because 
There just needs to be a sense of football normalcy and, you know, mediocrity would be a victory for this team right now because they're working on they're working on a streak, one of the longer streaks in, in the NFL right now without the postseason. And, you know, that could that should short that should sort itself out later, because right now, I think in the AFC, there are too many established contenders right now for the Jets to truly insert themselves back in that picture, because let's face it in the East. The New England monopoly more than likely going to continue on the AFC East. In the North, the Browns are resurrected. The Ravens are the Ravens and Steelers are still going to be forces to be reckoned with. Down the South, I think anyone can win that division down there between the Colts, the Texans, the Titans, even the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now that the Blake Bortles dilemma has sorted itself out, the West is another one. All those teams are going to be dangerous down there. Even Denver and Oakland, and you know you have the Top Gun contenders in Kansas City and the Los Angeles Chargers. So I def I just think there's too many established contenders right now for the Jets to truly contend for a playoff spot. So mediocrity shouldn't be the goal, but it's not something they should be you know upset with themselves in obtaining this year i think yeah but the thing is i mean 2020 they have a legitimate shot to be contenders in 2020 yes exactly i mean they also you know joe douglas just needs one off season in in this league you know that's why this rebuilding thing this false narrative of rebuilding is so frustrating it's gone on for four years now this is the nfl a rebuild is one great off season a one great draft and they have a chance in 2020 to be really special. If Douglas does the right thing along the offensive line and shores up the four man conventional pass rush. So a win eight and eight is a tremendous win uh, this season. If you ask me. Definitely. Definitely. And you know what? In the NFL, a rebuild, first of all, the concept of a rebuild and tanking in the NFL is almost ludicrous because you know, one season in the NFL feels like an eternity, and one quick rebuild season can spiral into a losing culture immediately. And the Jets have found this lesson out the hard way several, several times. And now that they have a quarterback whom they believe is perhaps the most legitimate Joe Namath successor since probably ever, this becomes huge right now because Darnold... Even if Mark Sanchez led the team to an AFC title game in his rookie year, even if guys like Ken O'Brien had their moments of glory with this squad, there is a sense of, you know, there's a sense of firmness with Darnold that has not been present with this team for such a long time. So this makes this makes the next few years very careful. You have to be very careful, very delicate in a way, and you need to make sure that this relationship is fostered as best as possible. So the Jets went after the name brand talent this year, and you know it could either be good or it can combust in their face right now. I think the big question is going to be whether Adam Gase is the right man to lead this squad right now. He's brought in some strong, savvy football minds, if not if not controversial a little bit, you know, bringing in Greg Williams to be the defensive coordinator. So you know, Gase has made it clear that he wants to be, he wants his mark on this team. I thought that was very clear in, you know, the power play 
or lack thereof in in getting Mike McCagnan out of there. We'll we'll probably never know the true behind the scenes story of what happened, but I think it was apparent that Gase wanted his power with the flurry of moves that he made once you know he was in the interim. He was the acting general manager of this team. You know, trading Darren Lee. You know, bringing in guys, bringing in some of his old guys like punter Matt Dar. So I definitely think Gase. It's going to be a big question of whether Adam Gase is the right man to lead this job, but I don't think there's any doubt that he wants to be the man that the man for this job because we've seen coaches, I think several points throughout the past, you know, they, they've taken a bit of a nonchalant approach to their, to their squads. Gase wants to be completely hands-on and he wants to be involved in the making of this team, in the rise or fall for better or worse. He wants his fingerprints on it. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, there was tremendous backlash. Yes. Um, beat writers got emotional. And it wasn't because they fired McCagnan. It was because they told them no one was getting fired. They waited. And, and, and then suddenly, boom, it happens. So the emotional backlash from the media trickled down to the fans, and everyone called him a joke, a laughingstock. But think about it from Gase's point of view. Would you rather have a coach who walks in the door and believes his general manager doesn't know what he's doing and roll with that? Right. Or would you rather have a coach who says, nah, we're going to win. And if I, if I don't think this guy knows what he's doing, I'm going to get the, get him the hell out of here, get the right guy in here, and we're going to win. Which version would you rather have as a fan? Yeah, a fan would take, the, would take the latter version every single time. And it reminds me of a piece that you wrote earlier this offseason, I believe. It was on EliteSportsNewYork.com. You mentioned, you mentioned how the quote-unquote New York Jets apocalypse kind of fell by the wayside. And, you know, this, yeah, here, here I, just, I just found it on ESNY. And the headline reads, quote, The fictional New York Jets apocalypse comes out clean on the other side. And I do remember that, you know, when the McCagnan thing when the McCagden news came out, everyone was like, oh, same old Jets, LOL Jets, making the memes, making the social media posts, the tweets, everything went viral. And, you know, it's almost was a source of like Jets for clicks, something we've seen far too often, I think, from a New York Knicks standpoint as well, you know, with the how many power forwards that they're at- adding. But you mentioned that, you know, after all the malarkey, all the tum- uh, all the tum- tumultuous news headlines and naysayers and doomsday predictors, things actually turned out well for the Jets, and they emerged from this somehow with a sense of stability. Well, listen, you can't excuse the timing. There's no there's no doubt. Uh, you know, I don't buy the rationalization that the calendar year starts then when the scouting starts. He should have been gone with bowls. Yes. So the timing you can't excuse, but the timing is a fraction of 1% of the importance that it is to actually have the right man in the job. Right. So in in that, you you know, everyone lost their minds and lost just how inept the drafting has been. I mean, you want to give McCagney credit for Darnold? I can't, you know, his terrible teams, terrible records, put him in that position to grab that guy. So, you know, everyone lost their heads. I believe they have the right guy. If you think about Douglas, what did he say on day one? You win in the trenches, right? You win with the quarterback and you win in the trenches. And it starts there. Not once over five drafts has McCagnan said that. All he said is best available player, best available player, best available player. 
which doesn't work in football. You need balanced units. Every unit helps the other unit. And more units, like the line, like the trenches, overwhelm, overwhelmingly help other units as opposed to vice versa. So focus on the, the right guy for the job. And I think they, I think they got it. I think they got it done. It reminded me in several ways, as a matter of fact, of the final days of the Jerry Reese era over with the New York Giants because he was the same way by insisting that the best player available was the right way to go. Best player available is such an interesting concept when it comes to the NFL draft. I believe it's a luxury to teams because, you know, best player available basically assumes that you have no pressing needs at that point. Best player available is a luxury available to you when you are quote-unquote one move away from the Super Bowl. And right now, I don't think the Jets are one move away from the Super Bowl. They're still several smaller moves away from the Super Bowl. And that's another thing that Joe, that Douglas said in his opening presser. He mentioned something that, you know, they were going to work the waiver wire. The Jets have a high priority spot. Again, thanks to, thanks to the poor records obtained under McCagnan, they are going to utilize their high priority on the waiver wire. And I think that's really interesting. And, you know, you look at the draft this year and – yeah, they brought in Quinn and Williams, but I felt several other moves could have been made. There were no interior linemen selected. They they used the fourth round where they could have taken, you know, a young developing cornerback prospect like Julian Love out of Notre Dame who ended up going to the Giants. They ended up taking a tight end who they want to perhaps were, which is not only a position tight end where they're relatively solidified thanks to another fourth round pick, Chris Herndon, but they want to turn Trevon Wesco into a bit of a fullback. I believe it's something that we'll definitely keep an eye on in training camp and the preseason moving forward. So I definitely think that things could have been done better in the draft this year. There's plenty of, like we've said on this, like we've discussed on this program before, there's plenty of high risk, high reward guys, guys with, you know, character issues like Jakai Palai or Chuma, Chuma Adaga. So I definitely think that this is going to be interesting. Blake Cashman and Blessing on Austin come in. They've had a little bit of the problems with the injuries. So I definitely think that this draft, you know, is going to be one of the things that is going to define McCagnan's ultimate legacy in New York because he can well come in. He can well come in if the Jets do surpass the eight, the metaphorical eight and eight mark that we've been talking about so often, the, the metaphorical mark of mediocrity. Try saying that one five times fast. But if they exceed that expectation, he could come in. We talked about it a couple weeks ago in terms of he could come in like Orson Krennic and Rogue One, a Star Wars story, and declare we stand here amidst my achievement, not yours. But ultimately, ultimately, this is Gase's squad and this is Douglas's squad, and their fingerprints are on this moving forward. Douglas has gone about this in a more charismatic and personifiable way than Gase right now. He's been a bit of, he's been a bit on edge, but sometimes that's what you have to do. I'm certainly not faulting him for that. Sometimes you have to be direct with these guys and with this and in this league so either way they're going with about this with two different approaches it appears but so far it looks like it's brought some relative peace to a franchise that's been in desperate need of it for a long long time and that's where you win you mentioned the mid to late round picks you win in this league yes by value you know stars are great but it's not a superstar league. It's a value league. You have to make value under the salary cap because all 32 teams rosters are so similar because of the salary cap. They're so similar in talent. You win 
at the coaching position. You win in the front office. You win at quarterback. You win at strong safety, offensive line, four-man conventional pass rush. And quarterback's down. Strong safety's down. The other four are still up for debate. You know, I I think we discussed several times. You look at, say, the New England Patriots, and it's almost like how many times have we watched Patriots games over the years and watched some nobody rise to the occasion, and the announcers will go on and on how this was a late-round pick. This guy came out of nowhere to truly make a difference. Like, look at Julian Edelman, seventh round in 2009. Matthew Slater, fifth rounder in 2015. He turned out to be a bit of a special team stud in a way. You look at so many guys on the Patriots roster, so many heroes for them throughout the years. Even a seventh-round quarterback like Matt Castle was able to step in and do a great job in place of Tom Brady. There's so many guys on the Patriots roster that they've hit on in day three and people wonder why they've had such a monopoly on the nfc on the afc east for all these years it's no secret like you said the value comes in day three and the jets need these day three guys to to rise up to the occasion perhaps even more so than the day ones and and this is it i mean if you look at the rosters and compare the jets and the pats Mm. it's not dissimilar it's not that different it's the culture it's the game plan it's the what's in between the ears, and it's the structure. It, it, like, look at the Pats. Look at Brady. The most underrated aspect about Tom Brady's career is he's enjoyed the best offensive line stretch of any quarterback in NFL history. Undoubtedly. This man doesn't get touched for seven, eight seconds in the pocket. It goes so unnoticed. If that structure is there, it allows so many guys to flourish and develop around it. And that's the structure and the and the culture the Jets need to nail down in year one this year. And you know what? The thing is about Brady, we talk about how great his blocking has been. The thing is, they've done so with just a rotating group of linemen every so often. I mean, you know, guys, like, look at look at the original Super Bowl winning teams, the, the, the 01s, the 03s. Guys like Matt Light, Damian Woody, Dan Coppin, Joe Andrusi. They've given way to new players. They've given way to guys like... Logan Mankin, Steve Neal, Sebastian Ballmer, they got Dan Connolly has come in, Nate Solder for a while. Everyone has come in and done their job in that lineup. Shaq Mason, he was a fourth, he was a fourth round addition a couple years back that the, that the Patriots nailed on. They took a chance on guys like Marcus Cannon, people like David Andrews in there. They have come in and brilliant coaching, brilliant football minds have molded them into an absolute powerhouse that we have not seen in the likes of the NFL. Probably ever. So this is where it begins. The The Jets went for name brand talent this offseason, but sometimes it's the not so name brand talent that helps you win the Super Bowl. Yeah, Dante Skarnickia coaching too. And look at the four teams from last year, the Patriots, the Chiefs, the Saints, the Rams. Right. What do they have all have in common? Their lines are dominant. Yeah. Todd Gurley didn't do much his first year. Neither did Goff. When Whitworth came, and rounded that unit off, Mm. they were unstoppable. The Chiefs, they lose uh, Hunt. They lose Kareem Hunt. Damian Williams plays just as good, if not better. Didn't lose a step. Didn't lose a step. It's half of the offense, 5 of 11. Yeah. And that structure has to be there. That's why the best available player stuff, sometimes you just have to say no more. No more of this nonsense. we got to force the issue and and develop the inside. And that's what I just didn't see. I needed to see that fire from the Cagnon in that area. You know, with this draft, I would have, you know, no matter, I, we will never know what he was offered. 
but I would have traded down and even taken less value to trade down to make sure that I filled in some of those holes that are so essential for Darnold moving forward. And of course, that is where this team is going to succeed and fall. It's all about surrounding Darnold with the right type of guys. And they did that in this offseason. You know, they brought in the name brands to help Sam. They brought in Le'Veon Bell. They brought in Kalecchio Semele, who was a pro bowler not too long ago. But I think the biggest offseason additions that the Jets made were a couple guys they brought back in Quincy Nunwa and Robbie Anderson, placing a second-round tender on the ladder. So I definitely think that, you know, Sam spoke so many times last offseason, last season, excuse me, on how those two guys, he was developing a great rapport with them and how he was, uh, you know, developing strong receivers. And, you know, look at the great quarterbacks throughout NFL history. All of them seem to have a guy they could always throw to, a guy they could always rely on. Like, And sometimes it's not even, you know, the name brand names out there. Like Peyton Manning, that guy probably extended Brandon Stokely's career by at least six years in the NFL. So I definitely think that it's good to get him this sense of familiarity, a good sense of camaraderie in the offense right now. And the Jets did a good job in that regard of solid parting gift from McCagnan, if you will. Yeah, they did. And and Nunwa, I love Nunwa, but he's got to stay healthy. He's played 40 games out of a total 80 over five seasons. He's so critical to this offense because he's really the only possession guy Darnold has other than Herndon. You know, those underneath anything you need, crucial third and five, third and seven uh, routes. You know, Anderson, he's, his speed is ridiculous. He's a straight line runner, though. He doesn't really have the hips. Um, Crowder's that X factor. Crowder could run those routes, too. But Anunwa is so crucial to the offense moving forward. And they did do a good job. He does have weapons. I am completely happy with the weapons. But um, it'll take Osemele getting back to Pro Bowl status. It'll take Beecham not falling off at all at age 30. It'll take Jonathan Harrison becoming a big boy for this team to potentially win 10 games. Yeah, it's interesting how you mentioned Jonathan Harrison. He's He's very... He's such an interesting case to me in that he he performed admirably when once the Jets decided they had enough of Spencer Long at center. But I think he could be the true X factor of this Jets offense this season. Your thoughts? I think he's the most important player on the roster right now. Oh, well said. He's the most important player. Um, he's number one, and Ja'Kai Polite is probably number two. Oh, interesting. Ja'Kai Polite. Why is that? Well, they need that edge, just like the O-line. They need that edge presence so badly. Um, Henry, Leo, Quinnen, they're interior players. You don't want them outside. So if Ja'Kai Polite, Jordan Jenkins is what he is. He's he's tremendous against the run. He could collect five to eight sacks, but they need that double-digit sack guy. And if Polite could somehow shock the football world, their defense is complete, other than corner. But you can get by with average corners if you have a pass rush. That's why Polite, Polite, or Brandon Copeland, one of the two. And, you know, you mentioned how uh, having a pass rush is going to be so important. And that brings up the interesting quandary of the Jets' schedule this year. Now, we went over it back in April, but you look at it again. We talked about how that opening stretch is going to be so important for them. I mean, you look at the first seven games, the first seven regular season games. They're going to be home against Buffalo. 
and home against Cleveland. Those are the first two games. And while those two didn't make the playoffs last year, they could be described as still up-and-coming squads that are going to be dangerous. And they have two young quarterbacks in Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield. So, And they, they can move around, too. So I definitely th- so that's going to be big. That's, yeah, isn't, it, isn't it funny how the AFC East turned out? Brady and three of the kids from the big quarterback draft class. Right, right. That's that's insane how that worked out. But that's destiny in the NFL. Yeah. See how and it worked Mayfield's out. not too Mayfield's uh, what, playing the AFC East this year. If I'm not correct, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, I believe so. Unless Cleveland is going to be the Jets, you know that one outlier game. Uh, oh yeah, I, it's the it's the extra game. I yeah. do I, I do believe though. Actually, I think you're right because. The Jets also play Baltimore and Pittsburgh this year. Yep, so you're right. You're right. Yep. The Browns are Baker, scheduled. Baker plays the AFC East. So th- those four quarterbacks are going at it head to head, if not multiple times this mm. year. Like the and the Browns, uh, the Browns game against the Patriots that might be a nationally televised game. Now, okay, it's in the it's in the four o'clock window on CBS during Week Eight. But how interesting is that to see the Browns? Must see TV. That's going to be interesting. They even have a Monday night game against Cleveland this year. But back to the Jets schedule. This we talked about how the first six games, the first seven weeks are absolutely crucial for them because their bye week is sandwiched in the middle. And after the Bills and Browns at New England, at Philadelphia, home against the Dallas Cowboys, home against New England on Monday night to end that stretch. Those are four teams who all not only went to the playoffs last year, but but won at least one playoff game in the process as well. So that's going to be such an interesting stretch. And we talk about, you know, the 8-8 eight and eight mark. If you can emerge from that stretch 2-4, and four, you might chalk that up to being a win. Because after that, it's a relatively manageable slate. Look, Because looking at it real quickly going forward, Jaguar, at Jaguars, at Dolphins, home against the Giants, at the Redskins, Raiders, at Bengals, then to end the year in 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 uh, December eighth, they they start against the Bengals on December first. Then they home against the Dolphins at Baltimore. That's a Thursday night game. Home against the Steelers and then at the Bills. That is such a manageable, manageable slate. Now, you know, knowing not just the Jets and their propensity for bad luck, but knowing the NFL general and the any, any given Sunday concept. They're not going to go through that stretch unscathed. They're not going to get through that ten and zero stretch unscathed. In fact, you know they might just slip up one of those games against a Miami team that many see could hold the number one pick in the 2020 NFL draft. So that six game stretch is so huge. And the quarterbacks they have to play going back to the pass rush, the quarterbacks they have to play that Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, Tom Brady, Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott, Tom Brady. Those are quarterbacks that can kill you in multiple ways. So that six game stretch is going to be huge for the pass rush, pass rush, and for the team in general. Yeah, you're so right. The, the opening of the schedule is so crucial. I think at the NFL, except for the NHL, is this is the place where you could mostly play above your talent or below your talent. Yeah, yeah. And if you get off to a great start, a raucous start, the locker room goes crazy, and you're building that momentum. That carries you so far in the NFL. So I, that's a reason why I think the Giants are going to be good this year, by the way. I think they're going to improve pretty greatly How's and that? shock shock a lot of people. Explain. Um, I just think the, the Gettleman moves that he made, again, they're not popular. Uh-huh. 
but he's building something from within. He improved the offensive line. He got rid of unnecessary wasted uh, salary cap ac- excess like uh, okay. Vernon. Know who you're talking about. Beckham has never won with the Giants. He could win with them. You could lose with them. Remember when Eli, the Giants got rid of Shockey and Tiki? I do. And what happened after that? Shouldn't they have been a worse team? No, they win the Super Bowl. That's right. Eli is a special kind of dude. He plays better. He leads better when the troublemakers go to the next city. Mm. So I I think they're going to shock people this year. I got to look at their schedule again. I thought it was a soft. I got in front front of me right now. They open against who else? The Dallas Cowboys. Right. That that's actually in the four game. That's in the four o'clock slot in week one for a change. And then three September ends with three games for them. They're definitely winnable. Home yes, against the Bills at Tampa Bay. Home against the Redskins. Yeah, I thought it was a soft opening. I, I think they're going to come out the gates quickly. Um, I don't know how we got it on the Giants. I always get off get us off track. It's up to no, you to get totally us back fine. to the back to the point. But. It's funny. You track the history, and someone could do this better than us, but you track the history, and the teams that win the offseason usually disappoint, and the teams that trade away stars in a non-emotional factor, like the Steelers do it all the time, generally build something from there. No, I get it. So, you know, that's that's the thing. That's the offseason battle fans always have to deal with in this league. I think we see that a lot in both football and baseball in which the team quote unquote that wins the off season ends up not doing so well in the regular season. And you're absolutely right. I, I brought it up before the dream team Eagles. Remember they brought in all those guys and ended up going eight and eight, nine, seven, seven to nine or whatever. It's so true. The NFL, anybody can beat anybody. And that's the absolute beauty and curse of it by the end of the day. Yeah. Curse. If you're a Jets fan, because Belichick has figured it out. Yes. That, it, you know, talent is so even that certain spots are more premium and certain ways of coaching and game planning in a chameleon-like fashion each week is the way to dominance. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. I think I'll just about do it here on this edition of the Jets uh, the Jets All The Way podcast. We'll continue our off-season discussion later this week. And we would like you, the fans, to get involved. We plan on broadcasting a lot more often, especially as we edge a little closer to the start of the 2019-20 NFL season. We encourage you to get to us on Twitter, on Facebook, wherever, and get your questions in, and we will answer them on the Jets All The Way podcast. Rob, any final thoughts as we end our introduction to the Jets offseason? No, the dead period is almost over, everybody. Two weeks, right? Two weeks away. It's almost here. That's absolutely right. Just hold out. Maybe enjoy some WNBA basketball in the meantime, as I'm currently working with the New York Liberty there. So check it out and maybe stick around after they play, after the training camp opens as well. But we'll keep it up with the Jets coverage right here on the Jets All The Way podcast. For Rob Sabo, I'm Jeff Magliacetti. Thanks for tuning in, folks. 